Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Hey, Missio Day, good to be with you. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday to worship with us. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Nehemiah. It is in the Old Testament, in the, in the crusty pages of Scripture where we often don't get into, but it's after Ezra. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. I'm going to read Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 12. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Ariah, Hilakiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Milkajai, Hashem, Hashabadah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was able to stand above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Jabathai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalata, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Heliah, instruct the people in the law while, that, while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so as, we, as you heard uh, in our story of Nehemiah, I just want to give you a recap uh, of where we are. Before that, I just want to talk about where we're headed today. Uh, today, I want to talk about what it means to rediscover and respond to the word of God. Uh, that's basically what happens here in Nehemiah. Let me give you some context. Week one, uh, you got to remember the context is God's people were in exile because they had disobeyed God's 
were. They had neglected God's word. They were captured by the Babylonians and the Persians. And Nehemiah finds himself in a place of privilege, a place of uh, among the elites. He's a cupbearer of the king. And as a Jew, he is, he is in this special elite privileged place. And he hears uh, that his city in Jerusalem is in rubble. It's destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. The protective security system of the wall that was built had been destroyed. Nehemiah prays and is grieved, as David Wagner talked about, uh, this sense of disrupted heart. How do we have a disrupted heart when uh, things around us are array? And so he, he, he cries out to God, pleads with him, grieves, mourns fast, and, and begs God boldly to, be, uh, to do something about this, to keep his covenant promises. And then Melissa taught in week two about this radical faith that, that Nehemiah had. He not just requested to God, he requested to the king, sin, let me go, release me, uh, let me go rebuild my people's uh, city. And then this past week, uh, Van Winkle taught about this sense of uh, opposition that was faced as, as Nehemiah went among the plans and the initiatives to rebuild, rebuild the city. Well, they rebuild the, the, the city, they rebuild the structures. And then this week, Nehemiah realizes it's not enough just to build the physical structures. We must build spiritual structures in our lives so that we can go back to the covenant and remember our, the promises of God and his faithfulness. And even though we've been unfaithful, it's time for us to set ourselves and recommit to the covenant that God made with us. And so they sit and they listen for hours and hours and hours. I love this. It's an amazing thing. In verse one, it says that all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, which he's been missing this whole book, but he was in the book before, the teacher of the law to bring out the book of the law of Moses and in which the Lord had commanded Israel. And he opened the book. And he began to teach them. And it says that, I love this, they began, the, the response was amazing. Uh, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord, their faces on the ground. There was a, a bodily response to God's word being taught. They praised God, didn't bow down. Now, as I think about this message, I don't know about you, but this pandemic has me in a, um, a sense of just a distraction, a sense of, of a lack of ambition, a lack of holy ambition, uh, to, to be honest with you, uh, and that, that has gone up and down throughout the seasons. And, um, but I am rediscovering, returning, uh, and the series just is exciting me to, to return to God's word and to see my desperation and my need for the words of God in scripture. And I, I, I want us to be a church that teaches the truth about God's word. Like uh, one thing I realized as a pastor through all this that I've always remembered, but even more so now is I can't make any of you watching this or hearing this message change. There's nothing I can say. There's no words I can communicate. There's, it doesn't matter how crafty they are or how humble they are or how, how uh, appealing they are or, or emotive or even calm. It has no, nothing I can do can make you change where you are. And later in Nehemiah, it says that the people did this because they were in great distress. So they were in great distress and I think many of us watching this are in great distress. Our families are in great distress. 
our jobs, our, our desire to keep running this race, to prove ourselves that we've been running since we were kids. Our parents were like, you need to walk, you know, faster. You need to be able to crawl to keep up with this kid crawling. And that whole thing of like, you need to make good grades so you can go to college, so you can get a good job. Why? So you can have kids that go to college and get a good job. And just this drive to compete and make more, accumulate more, like get the promotion, this running that we are all doing aimlessly, but without any direction. It's like we're on this treadmill, even during the pandemic, trying to figure out how to keep up, uh, putting this, this rat race upon ourselves. And, 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 and here we see this beautiful picture where they pause in their distress from that race to figure out the destru- destructions of life. And they sit under God's word for like five to five to six hours straight. And then it goes on for like seven days where they're just hearing the word of God. When I was in college, I went to a, an outdoor conference in which they, they had a station in which they had towers to replicate this and read the word of God 24-7. Someone was always reading the word for three days straight. It was a very moving experience. But I think here is that like, there's nothing I can do. Like, I can't break the lies of deception the enemy has on your life. I can't, I can't convince you to come follow Jesus. Like, God has to, you, the, the only way we can do that is first, transformation begins by submitting ourselves under God's word. Now, I know God's word, scripture has a lot of different angst in our time. I think a lot of us are kind of, some of us are doubting God's word, uh, uh, some of us are just, just feeling done with scripture. Uh, I think the, the, just a, a note to you, if you're doubting, that's great. We want to come alongside you and walk with you in your doubt, give you space for doubt. Teenagers, for example, need space to wrestle and doubt and be frustrated. It's when the parent comes down and says, you do this because I'm your parent, when things start to get really difficult and, and, and wounding. But don't look to people that are 30, 40 years older than you that are still sitting in their doubt and not reconstructing anything in their life. They're only deconstructing. That's not authenticity. That's immaturity. So we want to walk with you in your doubt. James, uh, Jude says, be, be gentle to those who doubt. But I want to encourage you, even in the midst of your doubt, to, to no longer let uh, uh, this sense of of, of of God's word being this authoritative thing. I remember when I was a kid, people used to make this phrase of standing on the word of God. No, that, that sense of pride and, and, and using the, the scriptures as a, as a trump tool to defeat your enemies or your or other people's arguments is not the way we approach God's word. It, it's placing ourselves under the word of God as a covenant people. And here they, they failed and they were recommitting to their covenant. And previously... They, they, the Israelites lived this life without consequence. And I think now many of us are living our life in this pandemic without consequence. There's going to be massive ramifications. I think it's going to take a year for us to all recover mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Like we need to be having healing conversations about how we're mentally and emotionally and spiritually going to recover from this. And it's going to take a long time of sitting under the word of God. All transformation, all revival begins by posturing ourselves under the word of God. Do I have a reverence for God's word? Do I, do I, is it the thing I need the most? And what I'm afraid of is we live in a day where churches are just trying to make themselves relevant, 
trying to replicate the beauty of the world or use systems of the world and marketing schemes to attract. And so we can't make God's word relevant. Jesus doesn't need new PR. Like Jesus had a PR problem from the very beginning. Virgin birth, God became flesh. Hello, that stuff's crazy to the, to the world. <laughs> we need to keep Christianity weird, not make it palatable to try to make it relevant. Yeah, I, I reminded of this, of, of uh, a biography on Albert Einstein. It's one of my favorite quotes from this book by a scientist named Charles Misner, a general relativity specialist, said this about Einstein. He says, I do see the design of the universe as essentially a religious question. That is, one should have some kind of respect and awe for the whole business. It's very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion. Although he strikes me as a basically a very fate and religious man, he must have looked at what preachers said about God and felt they were blaspheming. He had seen so much more majesty than they had ever imagined. And they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he, he simply felt that religions he'd run across did not have a proper respect for the author of the universe. You see, we, we have this, this God that we believe in that created us, made everything, and yet if we reduce him to the, the five Qs of marriage and the three Ps of relationships, which again, that doesn't dismiss me from ever using alliteration in a sermon, but I'm just saying that if we dismiss him to just how do we practically do this or that when we lose the majesty and we never let you know, the, the scriptures be a lightning bolt to the cold orthodoxy in our heart, if we never let it be a felt rain upon the dryness in our soul, if it's, if it's never the warm sun that melts the frozen snow inside of us, then we just have a dormant faith. These people, they said, we're going to sit under this word and be in surrender to it. I love it. It's a beautiful picture to open this book and say, I'm, I'm hungry for your word. I'm hungry for this. Now, next part of the passage, the Levites, and it says all the names. I'm not going to read them again. By the way, if, we can, if kids can pronounce names in Harry Potter, we can learn the names in scripture. Uh, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Now, in the Hebrew, there's no word for the word attentive. When we read that earlier, that, that, it would, that they were attentive. It literally says the ears of all the people were to the book of the law of Moses. I love that. 50,000 people, men, women, children, 50,000 people, their ears were to the book, understanding what was being said. God's word, when we seek to understand it, we can endure anything. When we believe in his promises and hold on to his promises, it is extraordinary power that we cannot get anywhere, that our life is unmanageable without him. And this book gives us and reveals the words of God, the promises of God, the stories of old, of history, that we can remember where God made his name great. And we can look through this and see that God is continually making himself great right now. That's what he's doing for thousands of years in this pandemic. He's finding a way to make his name great. 
we can endure so much if we look to the word of God. When our emotions run dry, we can endure so much. I'm reminded of a story I read from an Andy Crouch article about Gary Haugen, a story he told with, who was the president at the time of IJM, International Justice Mission. IJM is a group of lawyers who seek to rescue women that have been trafficked into sex trafficking. He tells a story, gives her name, Elizabeth, which I'm sure is not her real name, but she grew up in a small village in Southeast Asia. And when 16, she wanted to go to college. She wanted to go to Bible college. And she was eager to help her family. She was eager to make money. And a woman came to her and said, hey, I want to help you have enough money to go to Bible college. I, I want you to work at this noodle shop. and Let me take you there. The woman takes Elizabeth to the noodle shop only to find out that it was not a noodle shop. It was a brothel, and she was forced into sex trafficking, and she was shipped across the border. There, Elizabeth was forcibly confined to this brothel for where about $250, a man purchased the right to take away her virginity. She was held in a brothel for seven months where she was abused and oppressed customer after customer. Elizabeth could still easily be in this brothel as hundreds and thousands of girls are worldwide if investigators from IJM didn't rescue her and persuade the local police to raid the brothel. And when they arrived, they found on the walls of this brothel, written on the walls was this, Psalms 27. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength and my life. Whom shall I be afraid? There were dozens of scriptures all over the entire room. Psalm 27 says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. This is what Elizabeth's rescuers saw and remembered. And this is exactly what her uh, 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 evildoers and, and oppressors would have read as on the walls. And so she comes out of that, rescues, goes off to heal, goes to Bible college, and now teaches God's word. And I think about that story, and I think about how American Christianity is such a curious thing, right? Like, we have study Bibles, marketed. I, I remember, you know, we've got, who knows what's going to come out next, right? Like, we've got young adult singles Bible and old adult singles Bible, and someone said yes and amen for that. I mean, we've got all these study Bibles marketed and just doing whatever we can to make God's word relevant. And to, to like this affluent people who are largely insulated from the world's beauty and poverty. And then we've got this story of Elizabeth, this IJM story, where specialty Bibles are not necessary or available. And indeed, great advances have become known to make the Bible known greater. But those who really make scripture known are those who are there to obey it and do what it says. The Great Commission was just a distant relic in the apostol uh, apostolic age until pioneers of global missions actually started to make disciples of all nations. The book of Amos, 
was just a dusty book that no one would ever read in the Old Testament in the minor prophets of the Bible until the civil rights movement led a campaign of Christian nonviolence. It is those who come and obey and dare to obey what the Bible says that make Scripture come to life. So we need to see that not only is the Scripture, do we come under it, it gives us the power to endure anything, anything. And, and then lastly, uh, I just want to say this, that, that we see the response to God's word. Uh, verse 9, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites were instructing the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. As they heard it, they began to weep and mourn. I think they had this sense of existential crisis where they realized how fallen they had come, how, how, how much failure they have had in comparison to what, uh, what God was asking of them in, the, in their covenant, which, again, I'm not, I don't think we need to get back to this. I, think, I don't think we need to be going through this life of falling and, and rededicating and falling, rededicating. Like, that's just going to get old. That's, if that's all Christianity is about, then, then just I'll just sign out. If all it is is just like living a life no transformation. There's going to be a day where we will one day be sinless and we will see God and we will be like God. Yes and amen. Transform into the image of Jesus. So if this is all it is, it's just like, let's just mourn again because we didn't live up. But there is at the same time this point where we must know that, that we experience this. This is the human experience. I think all of us come to this recognition where we see all of our sins. We have a Lady Macbeth moment where she says, out, damn spot, out, I say. And we see that all of our ambition, all of our efforts, all of our, our jealousy and anger and bitterness and comparison and, and discontentment impose, implodes in on itself. And we see all of that and we look at it and go, oh my gosh, my life, I made a mess. And this is what they do when they hear God's word. The thing it does is it brings heartache. It brings a sense of, of, of conviction, a sense of, of guilt. And the problem with our world is we live in a world where the greatest sin in our culture is to believe there's sin. We, we don't, we're too afraid to even say the word sin. And sometimes we don't have anywhere to go with that. It's kind of like having an illness in which doctor after, do, after doctor says, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do with you. But the Bible is the, shows us Jesus as the great physician that says, I know exactly what's wrong with you. Let me show you your need of grace. And so what the scriptures do, does when we first hear it, it reveals our need for grace, that we, we, we desperately need God's grace. We desperately need his, his forgiveness, his justification, his love, because we live in a culture that, that doesn't believe this. Like we just go around with this emotion endlessly, not knowing where to put it. But I love this, that, that God says that you can take all that and you can know your sins are forgiven and that will bring you a blessed life that you can remove from that inner critic that is cons consistently beating you down, that, that, that sense of, of shame or guilt and you can go into a cocoon of concrete of your justification and sit with the promises that you are God's beloved son and daughter in whom he's well pleased with you. You can go in that place untouched, knowing that, that God has you, holds you, and has made you right, made you whole, made you completely new. That if your life is a train wreck, you are a perfect match for Jesus. He says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Like, I want to make you whole, forgiven, completely transformed, new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He's saying that right here, that, that you can come and take all that, that sense of existential angst, of knowing that you have sinned and you'll never meet up to the standard. And you can bring it to me and, and know that, know that, that I, will, I will give you the grace of God. This sense of feeling that you feel, don't run from it. God's grace will hunt you down. And that's my prayer for you. If you're running from that feeling of not confessing and asking God for forgiveness, so I want to pray that God's grace would just hunt you down in your, in your little cubicle at work at home or wherever you are while you're running on Lake Michigan, that God's love would come and just enrapture you, that you would experience his grace and it would liberate you. And then verse 10, Nehemiah said, go now, now that you've, you, you've experienced that, never punished, the, the sense that your, 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 your inner critic can never touch you, that you're in a fortress. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve. I love this. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It literally means that it's your stronghold. It's your fortress. That, that God's presence is, is going to be your fortress. It is going to be your stronghold. There's a, there's a traveling evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. And if your name's Gypsy Smith, you should be a traveling evangelist. But a young man during one of his messages came and asked him afterwards, how do, how do I experience God's presence? Where do I start? And he said, draw a circle around you and ask God for revival to fill everything within that circle. And I think that this is what these people were doing. They were taking full responsibility and saying everything within this realm that I have responsibility for, God, fill me with your way. Give me your faithfulness, your covenant love, your covenant promises that are true and forever. And that is what is good news today, that we don't have to rely on our constant repentance and return and repentance and recommitment that God's made a covenant with you because he knows that you will fail. And what covenant is, all a covenant is, is falling in love and saying, I'm going to put boundaries around the thing I love so I never lose it. And that is what God has done with every single one of you. He has fallen in love with you and he's put boundaries around you so that he will not lose the one he loves. That he loves you so much that he's kept a covenant with you and he's committed that when you don't keep your end of the dip promise, he's committed to fulfill where you should have fulfilled. And that's what Jesus has done. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He came and lived the perfect sinless life so that we wouldn't have to and we can trust in him. The sinner has no reason for rejoicing and the forgiven child has no reason for mourning. And so I wanna end by this, that God's words when we read scripture, are full of promise. And God's given so many promises to us, Missy O'Day. He's made us a promise that we'd be people of honor, people who restore the image of God that's broken in systemic injustice in our city. He's made us a promise that we'd be a people of renewal, seeking to join him in the grand renewal project, making all things new.
He's made us a promise of freedom that if we pursue him, we will see his face and we will see the face of God, experience him like no other. So let's all end the rat race, proving ourselves, of listening to the inner critic. Let's redeem the word of God as central in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would... um, you would give us so much grace in this time. I, I pray that you would increase our, our, the intensity of your spirit in our lives. I pray that you would increase the intensity of your love in our lives, that you would increase the intensity of your word in our lives and show us our sin and show us the wonder of your love, that you would increase the faith of the people here, that you would show Jesus to friend, that, that Jesus is a friend of sinners to so many of us. Would you show us your love? And for those here who doubt, would you walk with them as they walk away from you, just as you did in the road to Emmaus, as they are walking away from you, would you walk with them? Would you be like Jesus who found John fishing, go find them, bring them to your table? This is your heart. And so I pray for any of us resisting to receive God's mercy and love, that you you would hunt them down and the hand of God be upon you, I pray. The hand of God be upon your life that you would surrender to him and to his wonderful love. Make us a church of your word, God. Make us a church of your book. Let us tune our ear to your book and give us the blessings of a church that pursues you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.